Hi, Anya Alvarez here, Off the Looking Glass producer. And you might hear some birds chirping in the background. I'm actually at the golf course right now. And I'm taking you on my journey of trying to qualify for the U.S. Open being held at Pebble Beach this year. Now, a lot of people ask me, Anya, why did you stop playing professionally? And, well, it's because golf is hard. It's a hard lifestyle. I was on the road 30 plus weeks out of the year. And unlike if you play for, you know, a team like in the WNBA where they cover your travel expenses and you get a guaranteed salary, that is not the case as a professional golfer. You pay out of pocket for all of your own expenses. So unless you're playing really, really well, you could literally go into debt playing this game, which, side note, I did. And now that I have stepped away from the game, I have a much greater appreciation for the sport, and I'm much more excited to get out there and play, mainly because it isn't my life anymore, and my livelihood isn't dependent on it. But I have to say, the hardest thing for me right now is mental stamina on the golf course. It takes a lot of concentration, and I completely forgot the type of focus that you have to have. And not only is it hard for 18 holes, I have to do it for 36 holes in one day. So today at the golf course, I'm going to mainly work on my short game. My irons and my driver have never really been an issue for me. It was always a short game. I never practiced it enough. So I'm going to try to work on my touch and feel, get a little bit more confidence built up in that area. So when I step up on the tee at the qualifier, I feel as ready as possible and I don't feel like I'm going to start getting what they call the yips. This is my second tee shot of my journey on my way to the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Stay tuned. Welcome to Off the Looking Glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. We cold opened, Jessica. We cold opened with Anya Alvarez, pursuit in the U.S. Open qualifiers. What did you hear there? It sounds like Anya is doing the thing in golf where you realize, oh my God, this is a lot of golf to play. You know? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever played putt-putt and like you're nine holes into putt-putt and you're like, I'm having a blast. And then you're like 12 holes into putt-putt and you're like, I'm excited to do something after this. And then you're like 16 holes into putt-putt. And then you're like, holy shit, like I'm ready to be done with putt-putt. That's your home. Are you too good for your home? But then you have to play an entire other putt-putt because Anya's qualifier is 36 holes. And I can't imagine the mental stamina to do that. I actually do understand this now that you have brought it to what I call miniature golf. I don't know if that's a regional thing. I've never called it putt-putt. But really? I did know what you meant, but I call it mini golf. I call it both. But maybe okay, now, I, now I'm going to have to look it up, but go on. Um, never called it putt-putt before, but I did get to the end of the last couple holes on putt-putt. And, you know, in the beginning, you're like lining up your little putt. Yeah, and you're, you're like, like I'm, I'm really going to be so good. I'm going to get a hole in one. And by the end, you're just like, you drop it. It bounces wherever it lands. You kind of hit it toward the hole. And you're like, let's just get out of here because there is a McFlurry on the other side of this for me. <laughs> I looked it up. There's a difference between mini golf and putt-putt. 
Oh, what's the difference? Mini golf is a miniaturized version of regular golf, and you can find similar features such as holes, flags, water hazards, sand traps, and obstacles. Putt-putt is another branch of golf, but a less traditional one. It has obstacles like metal rails, pipe statues, and more gimmicky things than mini golf. So... We learn something okay. on this show every single day. The kind of mini golf I played, it'd be like, um, there'd be like a windmill and the little blade putt putt. Would be circling. Oh, so maybe I was playing putt-putt all along, but I just called it mini golf. There you go. Wow. All right. We've learned a lot at the top of this episode of Off the Looking Glass already. And we haven't even like taken a dive into the full episode, Jess. We're just delivering at every turn here. There you go. Always delivering. Go. Just like the post office. <laughs> <laughs> What? Just like the UPS truck. <laughs> no free ads. Bleep that out. Oh, sorry. Yeah. If UPS wants to work with us, though, they can call us for sure. They'll get a kick out of the putt-putt mini golf bit we just did. <laughs> I think that'll sell them. All right. On the show today, we have Ari Chambers, and we are going to take a walk through like her vision of the WNBA, the future, the draft that's happening, like this moment that women's sports is in. But before we get to her... Jess, I texted you late last night, mm-hmm. pretty late. I felt bad about it. It was like 9.45. We both get to sleep <laughs> I was pretty asleep. early. Yeah. I was like, what about if we talk about our visions of the future, both very granular, like some fun thing we think might exist in the future of women's sports, and then maybe kind of a broad vision of it. And you said back to me, what did you say back to me? I'll marinate on that. Yeah. Which is gross. I don't like yeah. that word. <laughs> You then rightfully said basically you were embarrassed that you had used that phrase. But, but it like reminds me of like a raw chicken breast. Like I'm just a raw chicken breast in a puddle of soy sauce or something. Like it grosses me out, to be honest, the visual. I don't like it. Yeah. When it first entered the jargon, I kind of dug it because I was like, what an interesting way to say, I'll see if the spices attach to me and if I get more flavorful about this topic. I'll soak in this for a while. It's yes. like a raw piece of meat. We're going off the rails, but let's put it back on the rails, maybe. Like a putt-putt course. That's that's right. <laughs> so, visions for the future. I thought of one. I mean, I think I interpreted this as like, what can our current women's sports world look like in the future and then influence other sports into doing? Is that? Yes. Yeah. So, my thought process was that in the future, women's sports, because we're often relegated to like, 330 championship games, whether it's like the WNBA this season or the national championship game. Like we play a lot of women's sports, non-primetime hours because of course, primetime's reserved for the men's NCAA championship and the NBA finals. But those games end at like midnight Eastern time and no one stays awake for them. So my vision is that the women's sports calendar and like scheduling will influence other sports to also play during the day so that we will never have to stay up late anymore in the future. We will all be in bed by eight o'clock having watched every sport and experienced them in daylight hours. I really like that because I get frustrated when there is a, any event starts at 9.30. I just, what am I supposed to do with that? In the future, I think we will all be eight to nine hour sleepers, probably because of some incredible advancement very holistic, healthy way that we are going to encourage everybody to sleep eight to nine hours, but we're still going to want to get our sports. Sometimes I find myself bummed out when there is a a women's like championship on at seven or eight. And I'm like, dang, I missed the good old days when this was on at noon. And I, I did it in in the daytime. And then I went to sleep at five 30, you know? Okay. I like that. All right. I have two, one's kind of quick, and this is one of the more granular ones. 
what do you think about playing on Mars someday? You know how we take games to London? And yeah. it's all about going somewhere new and expanding the fan base. Now, obviously, there wouldn't be a fan base necessarily in Mars unless we discover something we don't already know. <laughs> but I feel like in 50 years, we could build like a little gym that has enough proper oxygen. We can bring up a camera and we can have games in Mars, which will then lead to storylines such as, did playing on Mars ruin the Seattle Storm season? I mean, that's hmm. a storyline that I could get a lot of fodder out of. I'm a little hung up on the quantum physics of it all. Like, is the gameplay on Mars calculated in Earth minutes or Mars minutes? What's the difference? Are you, do you understand that? I watched the movie Interstellar once. Mankind was born on Earth. It was never meant to die here. I watched it three times and still I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> yes. That's like 10 hours of your life. <laughs> yeah, n not back to back to back. But like I watched it and then a couple years later I was like, I've seen Interstellar, but did I understand it? No, let me try it again. And then the same thing repeated itself like three or four years later. And I, was, and I still am to the point where I'm like, how is he floating behind her wall? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, he entered another dimension, I think. The thing about that movie is I actually kind of liked it, but I'm never gonna loved watch it. it again. And also oh. the soundtrack slaps, so. All right, so we'll put my vision of the future where they play We're on playing Mars. basketball on Mars, and Hans Zimmer is scoring the entire thing, and I'm in. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, okay, that's what's going to happen. But a more realistic vision for the future of women's sports, and we've kind of touched on it in episodes of Off the Looking Glass, is do I want women to make tons of money? Yes, but what I want more than anything is for sports, both from the youth level all the way up to the highest of professional levels, is supported in a really like healthy way as mm -hmm. opposed to just being driven by like youth coaches who want to make money or driven by egos with their connection to recruiting and college coaches. So, and I feel like women would do this if at some point in the future, as TV rights deals grow, if part of the collective bargaining agreement of say the WNBA or any other professional league is like, we want to take a percentage of our profits and it's not all going to higher and higher salaries because at some point I think women will be like, if I'm making $7 million a year, do I need to make $22 million a year? Maybe humanity is rotten at the core, Jess, Maybe. but let's say they're not. Let's say they're not. Maybe there's a moment where the WNBA collective bargaining says, let's take a percentage of our profits and funnel it all the way back down to youth sports so that nowhere in the U.S. because of socioeconomic status, like it's not pay to play. Like, could we make women's basketball through the funding of the WNBA less pay to play and have like, places all across the country where there are teams that are supported with funding and with uniforms and like travel budgets. Like that could be a vision of the future that is beautiful and different than the way men's sports has evolved over the last 75 years. Well, I think this is a central question and vision of off the looking glasses to picture what that looks like. So we're not there yet. I like that you framed it through like something that could be collectively bargained because I think the way to get there is to have solidarity with like, not just like WNBA players, but like working class people in unions around the country, right? Like if everyone shares this vision, which is a vision to like keep other people safe and healthy and protect other people, then like that is something that's achievable. But how do we get there? And I think the WNBA does a good job of leading by example at the moment with like the social causes that they promote. But we'll keep thinking about that and picturing that and maybe 
by the time we are able to build a gymnasium on Mars, we'll have answered yeah. how we could do that. Also, are the players getting paid extra to go to Mars? Like, there's workers' yeah. comp situations, I feel like, happening. You know, lack of oxygen. Yeah, I'm a little worried that my vision of playing on Mars is gonna take all of the money that would fund the youth yeah. sports that I also wanna fund. So I think these two might be in conflict, but that's for a later date. We can just kick that can down the road or we can putt that ball down the green, which is another saying similar. Yeah, but like in putt-putt, the whole thing is a green. That's true. We should get to the show now, don't you think? All right. Our guest today is embedded in women's sports. She's a journalist, a host, a reporter, an entrepreneur. She's the founder of Highlight Her, which is one of the fastest growing women's sports platforms with over 200,000 followers on Instagram. She's also a Forbes under 30 honoree. All right, let's do it. Let's bring her on, Ari Chambers. Tell us about the spectacle of the WNBA draft and how you feel like it's evolved in the last few years, let alone from when like the Diana Tarazis and the Sue Birds and the Swing Cashes were being drafted. Like, what is that spectacle like? You know what? It's funny because the whole past, like, I want to say two weeks has just been a spectacle, a women's basketball spectacle. LSU has captured its very first national championship. Well, you see the growth of it. If you're there, if you're not there, just the consumption of it in general has been really, really special to watch this spectacle. But I have attended, I think, eight drafts now. And just to see it grow year over year, in particular, though, the players' styles. I saw Devereaux Peters uh, tweet out yesterday how they had strict business casual back when she was going into the league and she's class of 2012. And it's just so interesting in the past 11 years how styles have evolved. I've really seen it in the past two years, to be honest, like the post-COVID draft situation. Actually, I feel like the COVID draft, the 2020 draft, is when it really shifted because it was from home. So you got to dress how you wanted to dress. It's giving balls beach. And so now it's a big fashion show. And how ironic is it that Fashion Week is actually held at Spring Studios, too? So it's, it's almost like the athletes get a dose of Fashion Week before their special moment on stage. But it's just a great event that offers the opportunity of like the incentive of why they're a pro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw the numbers for the draft, like up like 42% and 500,000 for viewership. So it's the most viewed draft, I believe since 04. Yeah. And that's, that's a great indicator of where women's basketball is going. It's not like we're begging people to watch. People are watching. It's available and it's a great product. We talk a lot on this show about all the numbers, right? Like the numbers from the NCAA final, the numbers from the WNBA over the last couple of years. As somebody who's just living it and in it, when you're out and you're talking to people, do you have like a very concise way of explaining why we are mm -hmm. seeing this? I have a very concise way of saying, hey, get on board. It's uh, the cost of inaction is greater than the risk. I have a concise way of saying, hey, once you put it out there, people will watch it. It's really hard because... Over the past 20-something years, I've been a women's basketball fan in particular, and it's really difficult to find games historically. But now when you see more networks buying in, when you see the product being pushed, when you see the pre- and post-game shows, when you see social media backing it, it's easy to, to find. And so it's easier to fall in love with something if you know it exists. So what's happening now is it's being available to the public and the public's able to consume it, whether that be in bars like the sports bra 
that just airs only women's sports, Women's Sports Network, a new network that's coming up and only showing women's sports, whether that be ESPN and Warner Brothers Discovery, that's like showcasing these games more so, CBS, Fox, all of them that are putting the games on accessible networks. It just allows people to just flip through a channel and be like, oh, this is great. Let me just keep watching. So to answer your question, hey, put it out there. People will watch. One thing that happens with Kate and I sometimes is that we get frustrated a little bit when people seem surprised by the big numbers and surprised with the level of engagement. What is your reaction as someone who's been following the sport for a long time when you see the headlines and the reaction from a lot of people that haven't been paying attention is like, wow, really? That I'm so surprised. Higher than an NBA game? Can you double check that, please? Yeah, stuff like that. I say, I told you so. <laughs> That's right. I told you so because... Look how much we accomplish with so little. Imagine if there was equitable coverage of women's sports. If we do so much with these crumbs that are given, imagine if we had the whole cake. So we had a little piece of that cake this year and you see the numbers, boom, people want it. People want it. And, you know, we talk about trolls often and how you, you know, you're online, you're like, oh, forget these trolls, da, 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 da. But this next generation is coming to a time, I, I want to tie in social media here, it's coming to a time where they've seen these highlight reels between, you know, the Bleacher Reports of the world, the ESPNs of the world, like the Sports Center top tens and, and overtimes of the world. They just say, oh, that's a dope player. So whether she plays in a women's league or he plays in a men's league or, you know, whatever that looks like, they're not disgusted by women's presence in sports. And so if they love Paige Beckers is the best example. They love a Paige Beckers. Beckers, you bet. They're going to watch Paige Beckers play at Connecticut. And that's just is what it is. And then when Paige Beckers gets to the league, they're going to follow her too. We have a generation that's not as misogynistic, that's going in the right direction, that has been exposed to women playing sports at an elite level from birth. And we have to realize that our generation wasn't used to that. We were born without a WNBA. We were born without an NWSL. We were born without these women's sports leagues lasting. We just see it fold. We have to go overseas. So it's not as big of exposure. And you see it in Europe, the club style, they are way more accepting of women's sports when there's a club in the town because it's from birth. Yep. Wait, I have an idea, although it's probably already been done. When I wanted to become a fan of like an EPL team over in England, there were all of these quizzes I could take. You know, it'd be like, <laughs> what's your favorite musician? And because Adele was a fan of Tottenham, right? So it was like, oh, I like Adele. And I also was a New York Mets fan. And they were like, oh, also pointing toward Tottenham. Do we have one of those quizzes for WNBA teams where it's like you assess your fandom? They have an app. They release quizzes throughout the year on their Twitter. And I always take the quizzes. Last time it was what WNBA team would you be drafted to? And okay. for some reason I got the Indiana fever, like the rest of the world. Anyway, but the WNBA.com and the WNBA you know, social handles release those quizzes together has a good one for NWSL in particular. And I take them every time. Sometimes they go to your email, but hey, I can help you right now if you need allegiance to a Oh, club. I don't need help, but maybe some okay. of our listeners might need help. Okay, so listeners out there? <laughs> I, I don't even know what team you root for, Kate. But second off, I also found a BuzzFeed quiz and who doesn't love a good BuzzFeed quiz? So yes, I'm going to take this really quick and let you guys know what my results are. <laughs> Okay, good. You do that. You do that. Please do. I gotta know. You're giving sparks for me. It's giving sparks. <laughs> okay. I'm from okay. Chicago, though. So. 
It's giving sparks. Okay. I'm Let's telling see. you. Go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. If she predicts this properly, that's going to be good for the pod. No, Ari, like one of the things that I've, you know, paying attention to like the media in mm-hmm. that's covering the WNBA and women's college basketball, it's like you are the poster child for the change that has been made and how for years in my opening days at ESPN, everybody's like, we need the legacy media to finally come on board, you know, and like put some resources behind this. And you just saw the shift being like, we've waited long enough. Let's just go cover this thing. Let's just create the things that kind of the big media properties just don't, don't seem to be motivated to create. What have you seen even in the last like five, 10 years in terms of like the way either the media or the teams have just decided, let's just build the world we want to live in? If the legacy media and older networking doesn't buy into this new form of media, you're going to lose the players forever. That was my privilege in that because when I first started out, I want to say I was on the ground probably around 2014, really like wanting to do this. And that was a time before social media. That was a time before, not before social media, but before it was implemented into journalism. And I got a lot of pushback, right? And so what the players would do instead of going through the the proper channels, they would just come directly to me. And that lack of control is uncomfortable for a conventional like PR team personnel. So it would be ignorant of me to think that there weren't more of me doing that, right? And so what happened was, it was a loss of control for people who who were in control and you a pushback from players that wanted to see change. So whether that's going to the newer media, whether that's putting out their story themselves. So you have to have this compromise where it's we're going to open it up to newer media because this is the direction it's going. And then because I'm very much a millennial, I'm not Gen Z, but then you have these new apps that you have to lean on the next generation to teach you to really be receptive of what sticks with them because they're going to be the newest consumers. So because this shift in generation and because this shift in, Hey, I can take ownership of my brand. You have to pay mine to new media or else you'll get left behind forever. Does that mean that I have to be on TikTok? is what you're saying? That means you have to be on. I I hate to break it to you. It yeah. I'm resisting it. Okay, my result from the BuzzFeed quiz was the Connecticut Sun, and I'm shocked by that. (laughs) I don't know why. No, just in Mohegan. I don't know. Yeah. So tell us, Jess, what led that? Like, what questions were asked of you that you think led you to a Sun fandom? I truly think it's the stupidest possible answer, which is it asked me my favorite color at the end, and I said yellow, and it was like sun Mm. but i also did get stumped by a question which was asking me my favorite marvel movie antagonist or protagonist and i i've never seen that's so intense to ask regarding WNBA. i just guessed because i don't i don't think i've seen any of these movies so i'm gonna go find another quiz so i'll I'll let you guys know what the next one says yeah maybe there's a better constructed one (laughs) so go find that for us jess find a quiz go to wmba.com you can find yeah Were you thinking during the final four every once in a while about how mad Paige Beckers must have been watching (laughs) Caitlin Clark just take over her role as like the great white hope in the game? I'm serious. (laughs) Like, It's funny because like there's like a a pack of great white hope villains and I love it. Yeah. And they seem to be villains with each other, which I'm really vibing with. Like. Caitlin Clark talking back to Haley. They're fierce competitors. And so yeah. it's like, a, you know, Haley tried to play it cool. Like, no, Holly, I'm not going to talk ish about Caitlin because that's my buddy. And then Caitlin pops off. Mm-hmm. And then you have 
Paige, who you know she's a killer. She's kind of a little bit. She gets super hype within the game, but like her moves are so silky that you you don't even pay mind to the the ish talking. I don't know yeah. alternative to this. No, you can swear. You can swear. So okay, you don't pay mind to what she's talking, and it's just it's funny. The new wave, Cameron Brink. I don't think we talk about Cameron Brink's villainhood enough. Like, oh yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, Cameron yeah. Brink. I can't wait till she gets to the league. But yeah, the, I don't think Paige was seething about that. I think she was seething about the fact that she hasn't had the opportunity to yes. compete for a championship in the way that she wants to. But it will be interesting next year because it's going to be the fight for that. Paige was Paige back. Okay, we need to full stop here, Kate. We're going back down the rabbit hole because we've done a couple episodes since you got back from Dallas for the final four. And we haven't yet discussed what you experienced and thought about Dallas for the final four. What was your takeaway when it comes to the lack of Yukon of it all? of the final four weekend. Yeah. Well, one, Dallas has great coffee. So shout out to Dallas for some very good coffee. But the second thing was like the different conversations you're having on like on street corners or like when you're at the bar. And one thing that kept coming up and we just, we kind of got into it with Ari, but one thing that kept coming up was like the Paige Becker's storyline of this, how she seemed to be poised to like live a moment like Caitlin Clark just lived. But instead, she's no longer on crutches, but essentially on crutches at home. And the kind of brewing, what I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but the brewing kind of like rivalry. And I'm not saying it's interpersonal between Paige and Caitlyn. There can't be two moments like this, right? Like Caitlyn doesn't happen if Paige has happened in terms of like really exploding into the moment. Like you can't both live a moment like that. There can't be two Hamiltons on Broadway at one time. Alexander Hamilton. I know you, you love Broadway metaphors. My name is Alexander Hamilton. If, yeah, if Hamilton is happening, one. people aren't also like, and another genre shifting play is blah, blah, blah. You can't both be genre shifting. Right. And so who's going to genre shift? Caitlin or Paige? Like, right. There can't also be a musical about Abraham Lincoln happening at the same time. Just you wait. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Okay. So you're saying like UConn wasn't in the final four and yet you felt that there was a presence there and the presence is going to be that they will be back next year and there will be like a... Paige Becker's Caitlin Clark rivalry that ha- like everyone's talking about, oh, LSU and Iowa, like this is the beginning of a rivalry. And it's like, no, no, no. Yes. There's going to be a different rivalry, which is UConn and Iowa, but specifically Paige Becker's and Caitlin Clark. Yes, yes. I would say hmm. that the presence was the absence, Jess, in this case. Ah. In okay. I mean, okay. So yeah, we should bounce back up there. But I just thought since I was on the ground at Dallas, you know, a journalism boots on, on the, the ground, beat, you know, ear to the ground, as they say, that I would share some of those things with us. Hmm. Hmm. But then you also have the talented black players that all often face erasure that I can't wait till we get out of the habit of erasing black greatness or calling it classless and things like that. I can't wait till we get out of those those moments because LSU there was no doubt in my mind once that game started that LSU was going to win. Yeah. They were ready. They were in the right mentality, that that dog mentality. And South Carolina is a fun one to me to watch because the narrative 
around them is so interesting. I, I know this is not what you asked, Kate, but the no, no, go wherever you go. Is is so interesting to me because talking to them as media, getting to know them over the past few years, they're probably the most wholesome team. They don't do a lot of like talking like you would think. I asked them their pregame playlist, it's full of gospel, but even if it wasn't, like the narrative that has been painted around South Carolina is really weird to me. And it makes me want to question why is everybody so quick to knock off their dynasty, their legacy within its infancy? But Connecticut's a love or hate team, but it's different. The vibes are different with Connecticut because you accept their excellence. You accept what Coach R.E.M. is doing. But with Don Staley, it's almost like a, we can't accept a dynasty or a strong legacy of an all-Black team like that. Do you feel yeah. like there's a level of respect that UConn gets? Like we respect them for being excellent. And so, you know, we you can love them or hate them, but you got to pay them respect. But with South Carolina, mm-hmm. that just doesn't exist. Mm-mm. People are hard pressed to accept or digest black excellence in that way without thinking it's, it's a fluke and it's confusing. And the vibes of the tournament, we talk about the great parts of it, but it, you can't deny the racial tension that was in that arena. And I hate to turn this very dark, but you can't deny the racial tension that was within that. I really hate to think that it overshadowed, especially if you're in person, that it overshadowed the game itself. I don't think it did. I think there was super excitement around the game in general, like either love or hate Kim Mulkey. It's, <laughs> it's like whatever you think that, but you, you love or hate Angel. You love or hate Caitlin. There's so many divisive things in a good way. There was a lot of divisive stuff going on in a bad way too. And I challenged the public to really sit with their biases going forward. It's fine to have your allegiance to a team, but just sit with your biases and why a team bothers you so much. Yeah. Don Staley's comments after the final four loss. We're not thugs. We're not monkeys. Were pretty telling that it was something that was bothering her too. And I wonder, like, as someone who was there, who do you think she was speaking to in particular about the way, you know, was it other coaches? Because there had been Lisa Bluter's comments and Gino Ariema's comments earlier in the season about her team style of play, or was it us, like, as media not calling that out? So she had to go and do it. She heard media chattering. She heard coaches chattering. She heard fans. She doesn't really pay mind to fans, but those who have the platform to storytell is who she was talking to. So those who have the power to steer public opinion is who Don Staley was referring to. And I think that her press conference was a great way to call on them to check their biases regarding South Carolina, whether that's their usage of words. What I love about Andrea Carter is she knows how to explain players outside of aggressive or athletic. You find different traits to their game. And it's little language like that. We need more Andrea Carters in the world because they know how to take that underlying bias, for lack of better words, that underlying prejudice or even racist, those thoughts, and just explain what's going on in the game. And inherently, whether the coaches or the media want to or not, when you call a black woman aggressive in the paint, it's very different than when you call a white woman aggressive in the paint. Compare again, my faves, Aaliyah Boston and Cameron Brink. Cameron's very physical, but you won't hear about Cameron's physicality as much as you will Aaliyah's. And and the connotation behind it is very different too. So Don was talking about those people that have the power to steer public opinion Um, when it comes to things like that. So when you say a bar fight, that's not fun to walk into. 
especially not during a final four setting, just knowing like, hey, the world's rooting against me. I mean, but hey, that's sports. But knowing that they're looking at us like aggressive beings that are in a bar fight. I know we only got a couple minutes with you left. Usually we do some fun stuff. There's one question I need to know your opinion on. Like a lot of people coming out of that NCAA final were doing that whole like, have we just seen the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird moment where we're going to have some sort of rivalry that's catapulting the WNBA or women's sports into the next phase of their growth. And I know all we have are like proxies on the men's side because that's our model. If you heard that, how do you feel about using these kind of historical male storytelling of like, this is the Magic and Larry kind of moment for women's basketball? When we use those proxies, how do you feel about them? Do you think that's a smart way to kind of position the storytelling that's existing in women's sports is kind of referring back to things that have happened in the history of men's sports or yeah. How do you feel about it? I hate men's comparison, but I am a women's sports fan. So what it's doing, it's bringing in, if you hear magic and Larry and Michael and Kobe and LeBron, if you're not a women's sports fan, you're going to be like, who are they comparing it to? And that's more eyes on the game. I think that we as women's sports fans, media, family, we're very protective over the product, in order to scale it and grow it, we have to figure out a way to appeal to a different audience. And so as much as I hate it, I have to take myself out the middle of it and say, okay, this fan might not understand a player comparison. So like, just say something as light as Candace Parker and Asia Wilson or Candace Parker and Lauren Jackson, right? If you're not a women's sports fan that hasn't been following the league for a while, or even if you're a new WNBA fan, you might not know who Lauren Jackson is. And so if you get a comparison, I don't know men's comparison because men's sports is, you know, but I know that if you make a comparison with an Asia and somebody else on the men's side, then somebody who's on the men's side might be like, hmm, what are they talking about? Oh, she's dope. So it can, I think that as women's sports consumers, we need to be more open to allowing women's sports to scale in the right direction. I challenge us to get out of our, um, hypersensitive ways of protecting the leagues and say, okay, our ways haven't worked. How can we really, really shoot it up there? It could be a great opportunity for growth. It could be a great opportunity to get more eyes on the game. And then we can really back to the women's sports storytelling and the women's marketing and things like that. Obviously that's not going to stop if people do make these comparisons, but let's not rely on them. But if they're introduced, accept them with open arms and allow it to scale. All right. Just as another quiz result. Yeah. So this one, my former employer, SB Nation, had a WNBA quiz. So I took it and it's asking me like what I would eat and drink and do at a barbecue as a way to find the answer. And I like the answer. So we're going to go with this. It gave me the Chicago Sky, my hometown team. So we're going with that, sticking with what I already know. And we're good. Give us some of the answers, though, that you plugged in to get this guy. It asked me, like, my my meat of choice. <laughs> so hot dog, hamburger, <laughs> veggie dog, chicken. I went with hamburger, of course. Oh, yeah, you were definitely never going to be a spark. A <laughs> veggie be burger would be the spark answer. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the, yeah. Then, Kate, you're the Sparks fan. Are you a vegetarian? I am, too. Yes, I am a vegetarian. I feel like I should end up as a Liberty fan, though. So mm. what is my hot dog? I guess it would have had to have been my answer yeah, to honestly, end up. like New York's kind of vegetarian. Yeah, too. Like, okay, maybe. Yeah. Jess, did you put in White Claw as your drink of choice I put this barbecue? <laughs> the only options were, like, water, lemonade, slushy, or beer. So I put water, which is, like... 
uh, I don't feel mm. great about. If it was like a vodka lemonade, though, we would have been in business. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just glad there's a fellow vodka girl here. Yes. Wow. <laughs> if there was a kombucha option, though, then LA again. I don't think I could ever end up as a Liberty fan. I'd be vegetarian drinking kombucha. Um, <laughs> You're definitely a spark. <laughs> <laughs> you have your plant wallpaper and everything. That's right. I guess I am a spark You're, fan. You are such a spark. 100%. It's like not even a thing. If you played hoops growing up, what was your go-to warm-up song? We'll use it as a playoff song for the podcast. Okay, let's do my go-to warm-up song is I'm going to date myself. Okay, I had two. I had two. One was like ridiculously aggressive, and that was Ether by Nas. So maybe mm-hmm. not use that. Because <laughs> that's we'll like, see. that's a very aggressive song. Okay. It's a battle rap. It was like Nas versus Jay Z when they had their beef. Anyway, <laughs> listen to it, use your discretion. But my, my go to song, I still listen to it every day, this, like to this day, is Let Me Blow Your Mind by Eve. Yep. That's All perfect. right. That's going to be your playoff song then. I love that for me. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Let's make yeah. this a habit. We love Ari Chambers and we love her walk-off song, Mm -hmm. Jess. I mean, I assume you have a similarly spicy walk-off song with great beats that you love. Um, I never had like one song in particular that I would play before soccer games, but I did go through a big Les Mis phase in middle school, so. Oh, that'll get you hyped. Yeah, like a a little do you hear the people sing as I walk out on the pitch. Little class warfare. <laughs> you love that stuff. The French Revolution. Well, the Paris Uprising, I should say. All right, let's tell people who helps us make this show. Jess, I can start. You help us make this show, co-hosting and producing. Anya Alvarez is a producer on this show, as well as a golfer who is making an epic comeback. We are following her journey to hopefully U.S. Open qualification at Pebble Beach, which I just looked up. Very beautiful. Wish I'd known that. You're like, hey, have you guys heard this Pebble Beach place? It's pretty nice. (laughs) And then I sent a photo just to prove to you both how beautiful it was. Well, they don't call it Pebble Beach for nothing. There's pebbles in a beach. Uh, We also should thank Joel Shupak for doing all of the sound design and audio engineering. And Carl Scott, our executive producer, of course. And thank you to Ari Chambers for joining us in the middle of Basketball Madness. See you next week. Thanks, everybody. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.